Good morning, I'm David Fisk, one of the pastors here at InTown, and we're going through a series through the Minor Prophets, and now we're getting to Jonah, which is like a fan favorite, you know? <laughs> the big fish, the whale, yeah, it's exciting, it's good. Uh, let me pray for us as we dive into God's Word together. We don't have a Scripture reader up here, so it's okay, I'm going to read the passages. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, Your Word that You have given it to us so that we might know about You, to know Your heart, to know Your greatness, how You control everything, how You are sovereign over everything, and how You're good, how You show us compassion and grace and mercy. And Lord, by Your Spirit, will You come and teach us this morning? Um, not because of me, but because of you, and for your glory and our edification. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know this about me, but I trained with Yoda. Um, not the little cute new one that's out there right now, but like the older one that messes with your head. So when I was in seminary, I had this professor, not Jimmy Agin, uh, I had this professor who I became really good friends with, and for four years, he kind of took me under his wing, and he would teach me, he would um, kind of mentor me, and we became friends. We, like, hung out outside of school, which was really weird for me. Um, but he always did these things where he would mess with my head, and this is where the Yoda part comes in. Like, he would ask me these questions and try to get me to reflect on things, and I'm like, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. Like, I love him, but I don't get it. And then, you know, like two weeks later, something would happen, and I was like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Man, that has been messing with my head, and I finally understood it. And one of the things that he was just huge on was self-reflection. David, you've got to reflect and learn from what's happening around you. Continue to reflect on yourself and what's happening around you so that you can learn from it. Okay, got it. He uh, wrote a book with some of his colleagues, and in it he says, an ounce of reflection can lead to a pound of learning. And I always love that. An ounce of reflection can lead to a pound of learning. And so I was very blessed to train with Yoda, who always pushed me to do that. Well, in the book of Jonah, we're going to see how uh, it's actually pushing us to do the same thing. It's pushing us into self-reflection. It's pushing us into looking at yourself and asking the question, does your heart look like the heart of God? Does your heart look like the heart of God? See, in our book, we're going to see God's heart where He's compassionate and merciful and gracious and slow to anger and full of love. Is your heart like that? If I'm honest, my heart is not like that. Right? I sin too much. I break the commands. I don't do what I'm what I want to do and mess up. You know, so kind of break his commands. And what I want to say this morning is <clears throat> sin is so much more than just breaking the commands. 
Okay, we think of sin sometimes as like, oh, I just, I did something wrong, say I'm sorry, we're good. Like, no, sin is way worse than that. I mean, think about how God says the two most important commandments are love me and love others. Love, love me and love others. So, when I do something that hurts my wife or my friend or my child or my family, I'm not loving, I'm hurting them. And I am becoming self-righteous because I'm saying, I know better than God. I'm not going to love them. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to hurt them. Or maybe I do something, and then they go, you hurt me. That might happen too much. Um, But you see, what you're doing is not just, oh, I broke the rules of God the Father, of God the Creator, of God the King of the universe. I've changed my loyalty and my loyalty now is to myself. I've changed my allegiance from following God and loving Him and other people to, I'm going to do this and it's going to hurt somebody, and that's just what I'm going to do because I know better. And it's sin, what I'm trying to say is sin is so much more than rule-breaking. It is rule-breaking, but it's also betraying God or betraying someone else. I'm supposed to love my child, and instead I'm hurting them. That's a betrayal to them. And so what I want us to see is how our sin is so much more than that. It's actually worse. It's betraying our relationship with God. And in Jonah, we're going to see how betrayal happens through self-righteousness, like I just explained. We're going to see that and how uh, Jonah does that. And you might say, well, what are some examples of how I might do that? Well, think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve just said, I know better. I'm going to eat this fruit. God doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not a big deal. <sighs> right? I know better. I know better. I know better. Or maybe you're a person who's self-righteous and, like, you want to be right all the time. You have to be that guy who argues with everyone to prove that you're right and you know it and they don't. And you're willing to be right at the cost of someone else, of of the relationship. Maybe we're self-righteous in uh, how we're intolerant of other people's sin, but we're tolerant of our own, right? Like, quick, quick to point out Ooh, look, they sinned. Oh, that's no good. I'm not going to talk about mine. Right? We're intolerant of other people's sin. Or we're proud. Do you know what I've done? Do you know who I am? Right? And get your chest puffed out. You're the chest always so puffed guy. And um, we also think about it, uh, we're self-righteous in the way that we think we can earn God's approval right? I can earn it. God showed me grace, but I'm going to earn it. I've messed up. I'm going to earn good standing back with God. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to do enough good. It's going to outweigh the bad. Like, no, that's self-righteousness. That's self-righteousness. Or it's kind of on this other end of the spectrum where we're self-righteous when we wallow in our self-pity, And here's what I mean. Like, we get self-righteous, and all we think about when we've messed up and been caught is 
oh my gosh, I can't believe that I would do that. And it, you shame yourself and you wallow in your self-pity so much that the person you offended has to take care of you emotionally. Right? Maybe I'm the only one that that happens to, but that's what happens. Those are evidence of uh, how we're self-righteous. And if you ever struggle with any of those things, Jonah is the book for you, okay? Jonah is the book for you because it's going to show God's heart, how He's compassionate, how He's merciful, how He's gracious. And this book will influence every single relationship that you have. Well, that's bold, David. Well, it's the Word of God, people. (laughs) And I know that some of you might say, "I, I don't want a heart like God, especially not the God of the Old Testament. He's a jerk. He's capricious. He's ready to just judge everyone and drop the hammer on them. I don't, I don't want that. That's not the kind of heart I want. Well, we're going to see in Jonah how God is going to be portrayed and His heart is going to come out as the complete opposite of that. Okay? The complete opposite of that. So, let's look at this story together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah 1. I know this is kind of crazy. I don't have a passage reader. I don't, you know, have all the slides like Jimmy, and I don't even have all the Scripture on the slides yet, okay? I'm going to read some passages through chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and then kind of paraphrase in between, okay? We'll cover the story real quick, and then we'll get to our passage this morning. All right, here we go. This is how Jonah starts out. Now, the word of the Lord of Yahweh came to Jonah. So, Jonah's a prophet now. He's this mouthpiece of God. And God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) Good plan. He went, uh, yeah, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So he's told what to do, and he's like, no, I'm going to flee from you. I'm out. Like, that's very mature. That's very smart. You're going to outrun the creator of the world. Okay. So he's in this, he's in this boat. And here's what happens. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to be, I'm sorry, the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Right? So it's to the point where everyone thinks they're going to die, and they're like, look, all of you, just pray out to whatever God you have so that we might get saved. And they, ha- they, they knew because Jonah had told them that he was fleeing from his God, okay? He was fleeing from Yahweh, and so they kind of turned to him and go, why did you do that? Why did you do that to us? Like, your downfall is now bringing all of us to death now, too. What's wrong with you? What do we do to make it stop? And he's like, throw me overboard. 
And they're like, uh, I don't know if your God's going to like us killing you before we die, but okay. And they get together and they throw him overboard to die, right? And then, uh, let's see, the, that's right, the sea did become calm. That, thank you, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they called out to the Lord, God, don't, Yahweh, don't let us perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it, is, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah gets thrown overboard, right? And you know the story, and he's probably thinking, all right, now I'm going to die. And then this big fish comes and swallows him up. Notice it said fish, not whale. It's okay. But God has compassion on him. God saves him. He gives him this undeserved gift because he's been running from God, but God's like, I'm still going to save you. I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to allow this fish to swallow you. And so he's saved. And while Jonah is in the fish for three days and three nights, which, uh, you know, that's crazy, uh, but he starts to pray. In chapter 2, he prays, and he's thanking God for saving him, and he's praising him, and he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then at the end of verse 2, I mean chapter 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So he is saved. He is now out on dry land. And the Lord commands him again. All right, now, again, I'm telling you, go to Nineveh and preach to them to repent and turn from their evil ways. And so he does. He finally gives. Finally. And then, in chapter 3, you see their response. Now remember, God has only dealt with Israel so far. His covenant was, is with them. This is a new country. This is a different nation. And he's saying, I want you to go over there and preach to them. And this is how they respond. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 10 say, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is on his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw 
what they did? He turned. God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Like, wow, that's an awesome story. Like, a whole nation was saved. They believed in God. This is awesome. Like, this guy got swallowed by a fish, and then he got thrown up, and then he went and preached, and this king also gets saved, and he sends out a decree to the whole country. Like, kids, come here. Let's talk about this. This is a pretty PG-rated story from the Bible, and that's not always the case. Like, come here, right? And it's a story of compassion and grace and mercy. I mean, think about Jonah's rebelling against God. He's betraying God, and God doesn't just kill him off. He saves him. He rescues him. Think about the sailors on the ship. He rescues them. He shows them compassion. And then you think about, you know, this whole other nation that's one of, his, one of Israel's enemies. He saves them. All these individuals who don't know about God, He saves them. The king hears about it and sends out a decree to all the, all the city. He shows mercy and grace, and He relents. Like, it's, it's an incredible story. But Jonah's self-righteousness keeps him spiritually blind to the grand scope of God's grace. Jonah's self-righteousness makes him blind, right? And so, the point of the story so far, is, and we see so much, okay, God is compassionate and merciful and gracious, so we need to obey Him. We need to do what He commands. Resistance is futile. And, like, this is a cool story. It's awesome. But it's not the point of the book. The whole book has a different, different point. It's, the story is a point of the book, but it's not the point of the book. So, what's the point? Well, let me read a couple more verses, and then we'll look at our passage that's printed in the bulletin. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But, God saving this whole city, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was angry. And over the next few verses, he is talking to God, and he's like, I told you. I told you back when I left. You are going to be gracious and slow to anger, and you were going to love them, and you were not going to make them pay. I told you. Oh, you know what? It's better for me to die. Right? <laughs> and so the setting for our passage is verse 5 when it talks about how Jonah then goes outside of the city, and he builds himself a booth, kind of like a, a hut, and he sits there looking down at the city, and he's like, man, I hope God changes his mind. Oh, and he's just like oozing anger. And he's mad at God for showing them mercy. And again, he's like, I, 
It would be better for me to die. And then God comes and he asks him a question. In verse uh, 4, he says, do you do well to be angry? Right? It's like God is kind of like wellspringing him. Jonah, like, how's that working for you? Yeah, I see you people. And so we get to our passage here in chapter 4, verse 6. And this is the setting. Jonah is, as the ESV study Bible says, he is emotionally hot and physically hot, okay? Because God didn't punish these people. So let's look at our passage right now, chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, the end of the book. Okay? This is God's Word. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. He's so dramatic. I kind of like it. Uh, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you didn't even labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? (laughs) Right? Like, okay, let's talk about this for a second. So God, in verse 6, he appoints this plant to give shade to help Jonah's discomfort, okay? And the word discomfort here can be translated as, like, discomfort, but it can also be translated as evil. So it's got this physical and spiritual aspect to it. So think of it as as evil. Like, what's going on with Jonah is that he is uh, having problems on the outside with the sun going on his bald head and problems on the inside with his heart being self-righteous. Okay, and then in verse, um, let's see, verse 7, again, God says, you know, you have this plant that's going to come comfort you, but when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And, I mean, God's showing here by him appointing things over and over, he's going, I'm the one in control here. Remember how I controlled all of the sea and the storm, and now I'm appointing things that are listening to me. Like, I'm the one in control, and I'm working on you because I want your heart to change. I want your heart to change. 
And so he says, you know, in verse 9 again, God asks him, do you do well to be angry? Yes, angry enough to die. And then God's getting ready to just give it to him and be like, look, I'm going to teach you and show you how ridiculous you're being. I'm going to expose your self-righteousness, okay? And so you see in verses 10 and 11, and the Lord said, you pity the plant which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Okay, God's going, now let me get this straight. You're concerned about the plant and not the people, right? Like, He's going, okay, you, you have compassion over this plant dying, but not these 120,000 people possibly dying? And by the way, this is the first time that Jonah is concerned about anything dying. The plant. Right? Like, it's ridiculous. He's going, you're, you're so upset that you want to die? Are you kidding me? Right? Like, uh, you didn't grow the plant, I brought it up for you overnight and gave it to you to help your discomfort, and I was the one who provided that through, you, through my grace and generosity. You care more about that than you do about these 120,000 people. And then did you notice how it's, it describes them? Who do not know their right hand from their left. Now, that's a Hebrew saying of they are spiritually unaware they are morally unaware of their evil. So when Jonah comes in and says, repent of your evil ways, they're like, I, don't I didn't know I had evil ways, you know. But through God's grace, they see it, they turn, and God doesn't punish them. And Jonah has no compassion for them. None. He's just angry. And then the crazy ending, right? What's he doing in verse 11 at the end? And also much cattle. <laughs> right? What he's doing is that he is turning uh, Jonah's reasoning back at him and goes, okay, you're more concerned about a plant than a lot of cattle. It's ridiculous, right? Like the cattle is worth way, way more than a little plant, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I read this, I get to the end, and I'm like, it's over? What? What did Jonah say? No, I'm a J on the Myers-Briggs. Like, I need closure. What happened? What do you mean? What's going on? This ended so abruptly. What did Jonah say? Oh, it's asking me a question. It's wanting me to answer the question. It's wanting the reader to self-reflect and think about, what about you? What about you as the reader? What about you? How will you respond? And that's the challenge to the entire book is this. Will you repent? Will you repent of your ways? Will you repent of the evil that you've done? Will you repent of the betrayal 
that you've done to God and the betrayal that you've done to others? How will you repent? Right? And what's crazy is that throughout this entire book, the the non-Christians repent better than the prophet, than the Christian. The non-believers are better at repenting than Jonah, the appointed messenger of God. And you might say, well, what do you mean they repented better? Um, all the prophetic books have a, have a message of repentance in them. And so what I want to do is reflect a little bit, right? Like Yoda used to teach me. Let's reflect and learn from the story of Jonah what repentance really is. And you might say, like, why are you making such a big deal about it? I thought it's just, you know, I'm human. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And you say, I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah, that's a good start. Absolutely. But we need to get down to some heart things first. Okay? So, let's, uh, look, I want you to sh- show you three kind of different aspects of repentance through the non-believers of the book of Jonah. Okay? So first, back in chapter 3, the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Right? Remember the people of Nineveh. Jonah comes and he preaches to them. You need to repent of your evil ways. Turn. They turn from evil. They do. They turn from evil. They change their behavior. They realize what they were doing was wrong. And so in repentance, kind of the first level is turning, right? And kind of know that, like turning from what you've done and not doing it again. But really, when it talks about how they put on sackcloth, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. They do that because they're sorrowing, because they're sorry for what they did. They're sorrowing over their evil. So in this first aspect, just thinking about it's turning and sorrowing over what you did. Like you feel bad for what you did because it was wrong. Right? Like that's getting down further on the heart level. Uh, Secondly, how did the king respond? The king takes it up a notch. Chapter 3, it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. For him to remove his robe would have been a huge deal because he's the king, and to put on sackcloth, showing how he's sorry, but then he goes and sits in ashes, which is even more so mourning. It's mourning over what he's done. Repentance is mourning over what you have done. It's remorse. It's sorrow at the wrongdoing that you've done. It's like your heart hurts that you hurt someone else. And it's not that you just broke the rules. It's that you have to now hold the pain that you caused someone else. It's owning you hurt somebody. And you put yourself in their shoes and realize, wow, that was really painful. 
it hurts my heart that I would do that and that it would make you feel that way. Owning someone else's hurt because of what you've done, because you have betrayed them. One of our favorite prophets here at InTown, John Cox, he says that hearing heals hurt. Did you get that? Hearing heals hurt. And he explains just in one sentence, of course it's one sentence, the only thing that makes hurt get better is for us to validate and get the hurt, like understand the hurt of the other person. Hearing heals hurt. And if you want to think about this a little bit more or look at it a little bit more, don't look at it now. But on the front of your uh, bulletin, there's a bigger quote that he has there that's just awesome. And it's about owning and holding the pain that you have caused someone else. And so that's the second, second aspect of repentance. Third and last one is the sailors. Do you remember them? Back in chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Like they feared Yahweh. They feared Jonah's God. They feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Don't you think? I mean, like that would have been a pretty big deal to like know that this guy is causing us to have a storm and we're all going to die. Let's throw him overboard and then we're rescued because everything stopped. Like, Jonah's God controls the weather. Jonah's God controls chaos. And their response is one of gratitude. Gratitude. Thankful that they have been rescued. It's, it's awe, like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And they offer him a sacrifice. And so this third aspect is repentance gives you a sense of awe or fear. And it makes you show gratitude for being forgiven. You're grateful. So those are the three things. Repentance. First is you turn because you sorrow over what you've done. Second, you own the pain that you have caused, especially the betrayal. And third is you have a sense of awe and gratitude because you're forgiven. And you might say, like, why would I repent? Like, that, David, that is exhausting. It's a lot of work, and I, I'm good. <laughs> why, why would I do that? Well, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking, and he says this. He says, For just as Noah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, which, by the way, if you just think, oh, the Old Testament is just full of stories that are made up, and they're all just analogies, and, you know, that didn't really happen. Jesus is validating. No, that happened. That was real. He validates it. So, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
And he talks about how the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of, ne- of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And think about the story of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is that he spent three days and three nights in this great fish, and then by God's grace, he's rescued. And then he goes and he, sh- he, he shares with this entire city, and they repent. Like they are saved from judgment. But Jesus is saying, I'm about to spend three nights, three days and three nights, in the heart of the earth is what he says. And it's a much greater sign because it's not just three days sitting around. It's three days of experiencing the punishment that you and I deserve for our betrayals. It's three days and three nights of paying the price for the pain that you and I have caused each other ourselves, and to God for betraying. Jesus spends three nights, three days, taking the consequences of our evil actions. And so you see this sign of Jonah is a call for repentance, but this sign of Jesus is even greater. It's bigger. Yes, you see in Jonah God's grace and His compassion and His mercy, and you need to repent. But you see it even more so in Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection. It's more of God's grace and His mercy and His compassion. And it's more motivation and more call for repentance. So as we finish this book of Jonah, like we see God, God's heart right? We see the compassion and the grace and the mercy, and it's asking you, what's your heart like? Is it like God's? Where are you self-righteous? Where am I self-righteous? Also, like, where do you get angry? Save that for another sermon, right? Um, And if we're honest, our hearts actually identify with Jonah, the one, like, believer in the story (laughs) who doesn't do anything right, by the way, except maybe pray. Like, Like Jonah fails and betrays God, we do, and yet God continues to show us compassion and mercy and grace. And so there's even more reason through Jesus, because we know more of the story, Like, we know Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection was God's grace and compassion and mercy to us. Will we repent? Will you repent? Will you turn from your evil actions because they sorrow you? Will you hold the hurt and the pain that you have caused other people through your betrayal? Will you? Will you take God's compassion and His mercy and His grace that's been shown to you and show it to other people and be grateful for it? Show Him gratitude? And here's the thing, in this cycle of repenting and believing again what's true and then obeying, we kind of go in this cycle, but the good news is it's more like a drill bit, not a circle. It's more like a drill bit going deeper and deeper into your heart to make it more like God's. 
deeper and deeper into the heart, changing it so that your heart will look more like God's heart. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your compassion. And Lord, we see it even more in the life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And so, Lord, as we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper right now, would you please use it as a time to feed us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.